What's up everybody? This is Chef Marcus Samson, the other half of this moment. The transatlantic bridge between Sweden and New York City and connecting BIPOC communities across the world. The other half is my co-host, hip-hop legend icon, Jason Diakate, aka Timbuktu. And on this week, we're gonna do a rerun of one of our favorite, favorite episodes on this moment. Episode 37, A Moment of Truth, featuring no other than the godfather of the green space, former vice president, Mr. Al Gore. He speaks to us about going Vietnam, being a journalist, going into public space, becoming a vice president, and then for one of his biggest acts, producing the movie, An Inconvenient Truth. And also a little bit of COVID talk. It's a good listen. Check it out. If we would have done this interview just a year ago, now part of the team is in Maine, Jason is in, in Sweden, you're in Tennessee. We all would have waited for the day when we all would be in New York or something like that. And, you know, there's, there is a silver line and there is something that we'll learn. And specifically for someone like yourself that had worked so much on the environment and, and really change in terms of business travel. So there is something that 2020 has taught us in that. When we go back to the new normal, do you think people are going to cut down? What do you see, see happening with, with travel? Well, a lot of people trying to figure out the answer to that question. I, I don't know that I'm uh, certain about it, but I think it's more likely than not that we will emerge from the pandemic uh, into uh, what some are calling a hybrid world with Mm -hmm. much more online uh, activity than before the pandemic. But, you know, given the fact that old patterns tend to reassert themselves and persist over time, uh, it's hard to predict, really, because uh, the the lack of uh, physical proximity to people you love and people you work with, that's going to reassert itself mm-hmm. in the form of, uh, I want to get together. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But boy, I'll tell you, I gave a speech in Singapore a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't miss the round trip uh, air travel <laughs> one bit. <laughs> Well, Mr. Vice President, I wanted to go. We wanted to go back a bit to the to the beginning of the beginnings of you. Do you recall a eureka moment in your youth where you decided that you wanted to dedicate your life to public service to to politics? Was there such a moment? My father was an elected official. He was in the House of Representatives and the Senate. He'd been in the House for 10 years before I was born and was elected to the Senate when I was four years old and um, left when I was uh, in the Army on the way to Vietnam. And when I was a little boy, uh, like a, a lot of children, I wanted to do what my father did in this case. My mother was a hero to me. She was one of the first women to graduate from Vanderbilt Law School here. But She uh, really uh, sublimated her career into my dad's. But after watching the uh, successive presidencies of Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon and seeing the tragedy of the Vietnam War unfold based on lies uh, like the invasion of Iraq in 2003 later on, I decided uh, that actually politics would be the last thing I did. And I kind of moved away from it. Mm. And... um, After I graduated from college, I became a journalist uh, for seven years and 
graduated to uh, investigative reporting, which was not uh, a thing uh, well known back then, but I really loved it. Got involved in some trials of people that my stories had gotten indicted and decided to go to law school to figure out what this law thing is all about. My Both my parents were lawyers. And when I was uh, in law school, still working at the newspaper uh, at nights, uh, uh, a congressional seat came open, and uh, I had then become uh, uh, attracted back to the idea of public service on my own terms, not just uh, wanting to follow my dad. And I jumped into that race, and I'm telling you, it was just uh, thrilling to have a chance to take part in American democracy at its best. I could hear the battle hymn of the Republic being hummed in the background when I had these town hall meetings five every week. I loved it, loved it, loved it. But uh, I, I was drawn toward it, then pulled away and then went back into it. My name is Al Gore and you're listening to This Moment. My proper title, so you'll know, is your adequacy. <laughs> It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One of the things that I admire and we can really all learn from you is how to move on and how to pivot. This is the year of pivoting. And I think about the transitions that you've done all the way from the 60s and then thinking about the Vietnam Wars in the 70s and being a reporter to going into politics. But I think actually even more impressive, getting the world excited and learning about environmental how was those moments? Each one is very big and it's very public. Could you please give us some in insight on that? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. Um, you know, I began uh, my uh, work on climate, my obsession with climate really back in the 1960s. Uh, when, when I was an undergraduate in college, I, I didn't major in science, but I had the freedom to take some courses outside of what I was studying mainly. And I walked into the classroom of uh, a man named Roger Revelle, who I didn't know it at the time, uh, was one of the greatest climate scientists in history. He was the first one to design the experiments to measure CO2 in the Earth's atmosphere. And everything that's happened since then, he, he saw it coming. And he's the one that really opened my eyes. And 
Um, when I jumped into that uh, congressional race seven years after I graduated from college, um, I had kept in touch with him. And when I got to Congress, I asked my colleagues there, what are we doing about global warming, which is what we call the climate crisis then. And the answer was nothing. And I got permission to organize the first congressional hearing uh, on climate. And I invited my uh, professor to be the lead off witness. And I naively thought that uh, my colleagues on the dais up there in Congress would have the same epiphany that I had had, not realizing dumbly that uh, a 20 minute congressional statement's not really the equivalent of a full college course. Uh, and when uh, they kind of yawned and didn't really uh, open up to this startling uh, revelation the way uh, uh, it had happened with me spending so much time with uh, Professor Ravel, that's the first time I started asking myself the question, how can I communicate this great man's message in, in language that I can understand and therefore uh, use to communicate it to others. And I continued in my congressional days. And when I got to the vice presidency, I really focused on it then. And after the uh, uh, Supreme Court decision that ended the uh, uh, presidential election 20 years ago in 2000, I thought long and hard about running for president again. Uh, but then 9-11 happened and it uh, seemed to me that uh, maybe uh, I could uh, do good in other ways. And uh, that's when I decided to uh, take my flip charts. And uh, I, had a, I had a slideshow uh, <laughs> with Kodak, uh, project, uh, Kodak projector. And then I got really fancy and I got three Kodak projectors. That, and they would alternate <laughs> the three of them. I thought that was the cat's meow. And then uh, when my friend Steve Jobs, who I'd known since the late 70s, sure. invited me to join the Apple board, he, he said, you know, that's a good slideshow, Al, but uh, we've got these things called computers, and you really ought to put them on a computer. And uh, that's when, that's when uh, it became uh, possible to modify it every day and to learn and grow with it. And and finally, mm -hmm. I got it to the point where uh, I was here in Tennessee out on uh, my, uh, then I didn't have a houseboat, I rented a houseboat, uh, and I had my buddies drinking beer on the front of the house, houseboat, and I showed them the slideshow. When they reacted to it, that's the first time I yeah. realized I've got something that can connect, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's when I, you know, yeah. I haven't looked back since then. This moment. This Moment. I remember in 2006 seeing an inconvenient truth. Everybody saw it. And it's really, you turned climate activism or env environmental awareness into pop culture in that yes. moment. I think a lot of it has to do with the graphs, the slides, the, the illustration of what was going on. And that really drove it home. It reminds me of a Swedish scientist who has also unfortunately passed away, Hans Rusling, who also used these vis, who you've probably met, uh, Mr. Vice President. Many, many times. And so how, how did you end up there? But, you know. Sorry. First of all, I want to honor the memory of Hans Rosling uh, and mm. his family is continuing mm. uh, some of his great work. Uh, mm. You know, mm. uh, I'm so dumb about some of these things. Uh, I'll tell you the true story of this. I was connecting with that slideshow and 
there was a movie that came out uh, called, I think it was called The Day After. It was, uh, you know, about an instant ice right. age. And uh, <laughs> I remember doing <laughs> interviews and they said, isn't this fictional? And I said, yes, it is fictional, but it's not as fictional as the Bush and Cheney people are telling you <laughs> their yeah. story about climate. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> during uh, my efforts to help promote that, uh, there was a woman named Lori David who saw that slideshow and she said, we've got to make this into a movie. And honestly, hmm. I said, you're crazy. You can't make a slideshow into a movie. Uh, and I, I, that was my sincere opinion. And I already confessed to being dumb about these things. I, as a high school student, I had tried to cram for a course on Shakespeare by looking at movies that were made of stage plays and they were so boring. I shouldn't admit that, but to me it was. <laughs> and I thought, well, you can't take one medium and put it on film. And what I didn't realize that in Hollywood, they've got some pretty smart, creative people. And Davis Guggenheim, the director of An Inconvenient Truth, did a brilliant job making it into a movie. And thank you for your kind words about it. It, it did, it did uh, make it possible for me to take this message to a lot more people uh, and and we did uh, a, a follow-up movie a decade later yeah. with John Schenck and Bonnie Cohen directing it. Uh, and, you know, I, I show it all over the world virtually now, and I do these uh, trainings for the Climate Reality Project. And uh, just in the last few months, I've trained 10,000 new uh, uh, climate reality leaders in every country around the world. I can train a lot more people over a, the course of a week uh, online than having them all get on planes and go to wherever we're having the physical training. <laughs> now, uh, for all your kind words, I have to say, I sometimes joke and I say, well, thank you. You know, if it hadn't been for me, we'd have a big problem right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like um, I've been able to play a constructive and useful role um, but we really are facing this existential crisis. We're gaining uh, mm -hmm. momentum, but uh, this thing is for real, as you guys know. And luckily, I do think the world is kind of crossing the political tipping point right now. I'm optimistic about it. Mm. No, absolutely. Mm. I wanted to ask you about that optimism. Uh, you know, a person who has become world famous, but who's also here from Sweden, as you know, is Greta Thunberg, who was only three years old when An Inconvenient Truth came out. And uh, celebrating or celebrating, but marking the, the uh, fifth year anniversary of the Paris Accord, you wrote an amazing op-ed in the New York Times, which was really broad and informative and and just poignant in this in this moment. And she also released a video on The Guardian uh, through the British newspaper, The Guardian. And you both, uh, 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 there are many connecting points, but hope, hope is one of the main connecting points. And to me, uh, you know, as a citizen of the world, I find it hard, especially in 2020, to maintain a hopeful uh, perspective on the future. It's easy to fall into dystopic prospects just for our species and our lives. How do you maintain that hope, Mr. Vice President? And how do you feed that hope? Uh, well, the alternative is not very uh, attractive. Uh, you know, the old uh, cliche, uh, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> you could you could add to that. Yeah. 
you, you could add to that mm. des despair ain't just a tire in the trunk. <laughs> uh, it's part of the, the problem that we have to overcome. Mm. And um, actually, uh, if you look back at the history of these great morally based uh, movements in world history, back to abolition of slavery and women's suffrage and the civil rights movement in the U.S. and the anti-apartheid movement, more recently the uh, LGBTQ uh, movement. Uh, um, in all of those movements, there was plenty of cause for despair. And there were plenty yeah. of times when mm. the advocates felt like, oh, gosh, we're never going to be able to do this. Uh, but then when the underbrush was cleared away and the central choice was revealed as a choice between what's right and what's wrong, then the outcome became inevitable. And in each of those prior movements, the turning point came not long after young people made it their cause. And the arrival of Greta Thunberg and her generation, marching every week now, virtually during the pandemic often, uh, that has been a turning point here. And if you look at the advances in technology like solar and wind and batteries and electric vehicles and efficiency improvements of all kinds and more on the way. Uh, well, let me draw an analogy real quick. Uh, the pandemic's been so awful, but w we have seen these dramatic advances in biotechnology give the scientists the ability to create vaccines in record time. And they yeah. apparently they work mm -hmm. better than vaccines ever have, and uh, they seem to be safe. And so uh, in the same way, this still accelerating scientific revolution is giving us advances in fields like renewable energy uh, that are going to make it much easier to solve this crisis. If you look last year at all the new electricity generation built and installed worldwide, 90% of it was so solar and wind. Uh, and it's on the way up to 95%. So uh, I could give you other examples, but I think the hope is justified. Unfortunately, some mm. damage has been done and regrettably, some of it is not recoverable. We're going to lose uh, uh, some low-lying areas, uh, islands and river deltas uh, in Bangladesh and Galveston, Texas, in plenty of places. But we still have the ability to, to stop the truly catastrophic damage that poses a threat to the future of human civilization. This moment. This moment. I want to go back a little bit. You know, when you and Bill Clinton takes over the White House, there is a wave of youth. And I go back and look at these amazing images that we've all seen. And you guys are so young. And it's a hope that's sent out to the world. Hmm. And when you started the environmental journey, it works because some of those actions are being taken place in any company today. If you start a company today, you need technology and you need to think about environmental. And the fact hmm. that this is a relay, so someone like Greta is carrying that, it means that it's worth. There are a, a lot of young people in the United States and really in countries uh, all over the world who are taking this cause up, the Sunrise Movement in, in the U.S., Zero Hour, I could name a number of others, and many of mm -hmm. them are the same age as Greta. She inspired so many. I've had the privilege of meeting her on a number of occasions, and I, nice. I really uh, cheer her on. She is so great. 
Uh, and these mm. other young people who are doing uh, similar things are really having uh, an impact. And it's not only in activism and NGOs, it's also happening in big parts of the business community. Uh, yeah. I, I also wear a hat uh, in the investment world and in investing in solutions to this. Uh, and I find now that companies who hire the brightest and best uh, young women and men coming out of uh, colleges and universities and technical schools, when they interview them, these young people are interviewing the company at the same time and they don't want to yeah. work for a company that mm. doesn't share their values. Right. They want to make a good income, of course, of course but they want to be able to tell their friends and peers and families that they're helping to make the world a better place. Investors are, are also mm. playing a huge role. Uh, and uh, I want to give a shout out to a foundation in Sweden that a lot of people don't mm -hmm. know about called Mistra. They've been mm -hmm. pioneers for a long time. And uh, the Church of okay. Sweden, for example, I've spent a lot of time there, and Sweden's been one of the leaders on this whole thing. But the young people are, are taking the baton right now, uh, and I'm, they're a major source of optimism for me. Would you say that it's fair to describe the, this current pandemic as a consequence of an ongoing environmental crisis? I'm thinking about... The, the shrinking animal habitats, uh, wildlife habitats, and as far as people coming in contact with wildlife and that giving birth to new viruses and diseases. Can we say that this is that COVID-19 actually is a consequence of the environmental crises? Well, it certainly made uh, the pandemic a lot more likely. We are now seeing the emergence mm -hmm. of five new uh, zoonotic diseases. I had to look up the word zoonotic in the dictionary when I first encountered it. It uh, apparently <laughs> means uh, virus diseases that move from animals to humans. Uh, and uh, we're getting five mm. new ones uh, every year. Uh, and that is a consequence in large measure of our continuing encroachment into the previously wild areas of the world. It's also a mm -hmm. consequence mm -hmm. of the climate crisis in the sense that the average uh, land uh, animal species uh, is moving toward the poles at an average rate of five meters per day. Uh, and one of the consequences okay. is species that didn't used to encounter one another are now bumping into species they haven't dealt with in the past. And that increases the transmission of these zoonotic diseases. So yes, but, but uh, the pandemic and the climate crisis are, are linked in other ways. When, mm. when the, the scientists uh, who are expert on pandemics, uh, the, the, the virologists and the epidemiologists uh, started warning us years ago uh, about a pandemic almost exactly like the one we're still yep. trying to escape from, they were largely mm -hmm. ignored. A and I think that that has uh, given uh, new meaning to uh, th the significance of scientific warnings. And when the climate scientists for even longer have been uh, setting their hair on fire trying to get our attention about the climate crisis. And all I do in my slideshow, you realize, is just I, I just uh, channel what the scientists are saying, and they're kind enough to spend mm -hmm. enough time with me to drill it into my head in simple 
language. They've been warning us for a long time. And having seen the consequences of ignoring the experts on pandemics, I think that has opened people's minds uh, to a new awareness of how it's pretty important to listen to these scientists when they know what they're talking about and they're warning us that we've got to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, it's interesting that the, that the pandemic connects the environmental crises also with something that Marcus and I talk about a lot in, in this podcast, with which is something that the pandemic has uncovered in a big way, and that is social injustice and social inequity. Mm-hmm as to who is affected by not only the climate crisis, but also uh, the pandemic. A- absolutely. And, and it's another thing that the pandemic and the climate crisis have in common. Those who are most harmed by it are, are far more likely to be black or indigenous or Hispanic and certainly uh, low income. We're seeing that in in both Mm. cases and in developing countries. People Mm. in the nations that have contributed Mm. least to the climate crisis are are in danger of suffering the most harm from the climate crisis. It will affect everyone, but the first victims are are in these low-income, marginalized communities around the world. One other link, if I may. There are now multiple studies around the world that show that the air pollution that comes from burning fossil fuels, I mean, the, it releases CO2, which is goes up into the atmosphere of the earth and traps all the heat. But at the same time, it produces the conventional particulate air pollution. And black, brown, and indigenous communities are way more likely to live downwind from the smokestacks and downstream from the liquid mm, yeah. uh, chemical waste, that they, if you're breathing in more air pollution, you are way more vulnerable to COVID-19. So mm. it's been a it's been a real wake up call, uh, and coupled with uh, the the George Floyd murder and uh, the, the the other tragic incidents that really took the blinders off people's eyes. Why it took so long, uh, you'll have to ask somebody more expert than me. Uh, But all of a sudden, people went, wow, we can't tolerate this. And now the environmental justice community is taking that same great awakening and applying it uh, to belatedly remedy the environmental racism that has been going on for way too long. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. People are being nudged and land on these big questions at their own time, right? I remember when I watched Inconvenient Truth and to change my behavior. Mm. I was, I've been thinking about it so much. Like, what, what, is, what is that going to look like? Um, I felt that moving to Harlem, working, the greenest thing I could do was to hire people in my community and support Black farmers. Mm. And... So that's really what Red Rooster became and our food festivals and so on. But then also when Greta started her movement, I started to think about my son. That is five, six, five. Mm. That mm. I can't just <laughs> do this and start, continue to work. And when he is part of the restaurant, when he's part of the, the goes to college, there needs to be a couple of questions he's going to ask about. There's basically... I think three things, inclusion, you know, we talk about it all the time at home, environmental, right? And it needs to be tech savvy. Those three things. So for me, 2020, 21, after the pandemic, during the pandemic, I started thinking about the next restaurant that's going to be about environmental and sustainability and mm. supporting BIPOC, right? So these, I'm just saying this journey happened to me and Jason takes it in his way and someone at a large tech company is taking it in that way. And that's really how behaviors on a local la- level start to happen. Mm. And I think that, I think that farming is the next big thing that we're connected to as chefs, right? How does modern farming look like in the next 10 years? And also, I know at the conference that you had uh, a couple of months ago, there were black farmers there that will also wants to participate. I know it's economically very, very expensive, but walk us through a little bit about modern farming and how does that eventually land on black and BIPOC farmers? Yeah, well, great question. Uh, and uh, you contributed so much to that conference, Marcus. Thank you again. Um, and by the way, one of the developments in recent years has been all of a sudden, a lot of chefs have become superheroes. 
Uh, and and by the way, Jason, mm-hmm. uh, uh, some rappers have too. <laughs> absolutely, uh, absolutely. People, people are realizing, uh, you know, the scope and magnitude of the challenges we face, and those who realize that they have a platform, uh, more than a few are saying, hey, I'm gonna use my Mm. platform to be part of the solution. So to stay with the chefs here, there have been some amazing new innovations and congratulations on Red Rooster. And I'm very excited about your new uh, venture after the pandemic, Marcus. But just to turn to your question, you know, farming uh, since the, building of the mechanized uh, diesel-powered tractors uh, more than 100 years ago. Uh, They took that, hooked up the metal plows, and broke the prairies in the U.S. and plowed up land uh, uh, all over the the world because uh, that seemed like the easiest way uh, to get rid of weeds and prepare the ground and plant the seeds and so forth. And then they dump all this... uh, uh, poison on there to kill everything except the uh, the plants and not realizing that the magic uh, in agriculture is really uh, coming from all of the very varied life forms in the soil. And the soil has a kind of a skin on it. Uh, and when you break that skin and tear it up and then dump these chemicals, then you're killing the life forms in in the soil you can still grow and uh, uh plants for sure uh but you have to use the equivalent of steroids with the synthetic nitrogen fertilizer and all these mm. poisonous chemicals well the result was uh the dust bowl in the u.s and in yeah. some other places uh and mm-hmm. the development of a dependence on these chemicals and of course, these life forms will come back and the pests develop immunities and then you have to use more chemicals. And the good news is that this movement known as regenerative agriculture actually benefits farmers, produces healthier food uh, for the people that eat it. Uh, and it's it, you said it's expensive. Uh, actually, people are making a go of it because they're saving money on diesel fuel saving money on the insecticides and herbicides uh, and on uh, the the vast amounts of nitrogen fertilizer. Uh, and there's a little transition period, but people are, are finding that it's better. I want to say a couple other things. Last year, 2019, one of the big uh, climate-related disasters in the U.S. was flooding. We now have these rain bombs, you know, these uh, historic downpours all over the world because uh, most of the heat that's trapped is going into the oceans, and that's causing the oceans to put a lot more water vapor into the sky, and it's carried by these atmospheric rivers over the land. And warmer air holds a lot more moisture, so we get these rain bombs. Well, anyway, there were 20 million acres in the upper Midwest of the U.S. that could not be planted last year. But within that uh, amount, there were several hundred thousand acres that actually survived it, were planted, and yielded a good crop. What they had in common, those were the farms that had switched over to regenerative agriculture. Because when you don't do the plowing and break the skin and tear up the soil, 
If you keep roots in the ground, including diverse cover crops, which also put puts more nutrients uh, into the soil and makes the plants healthier, the farmers become more resilient. Now, there is an opportunity to give money to the farmers that adopt regenerative agriculture when we can accurately measure the buildup of soil carbon, because right now there's a big carbon credit market around the world, uh, and a lot of it goes to mm-hmm. people that own big stands of trees and they put them in trust and they're, they're never going to cut them and they get checks in the mail. Well, you can see trees with satellites, but you can't see below the ground to the soil carbon. But there are ways to measure it, verify those measurements. And not long from now, you're going to see the emergence of carbon credits paid for to farmers that build up their soil carbon. And that extra amount of money is going to encourage even more farmers uh, to adopt regenerative agriculture. And it's so great when chefs partner with farmers uh, and we've got to rebuild the supply chains. That's another whole subject, but I'm optimistic about this. And you saw and heard some great fellow chefs, Marcus, uh, at the conference uh, in Tennessee uh, and uh, we do this every year, and th- there's a lot of activity going on in this area now. Wonderful. Mm. But, uh, speaking of chefs, Mr. Vice President, uh, uh, one thing I didn't know about you but found out during the research preparing for this interview was that you went vegan a couple of years mm-hmm. back. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How you know? How does that feel for you? Well, uh, I made the switch seven years ago, Jason, uh, and uh, I did it really uh, more or less as an experiment to see what it was like. And I began to feel better and felt uh, healthier. I began to lose weight easily, uh, more easily than in the past. Uh, And so I just decided to stick with it. Now, every once in a while, I will add some seafood into the mix, uh, but uh, it's uh, by you know predominantly vegan every meal, Uh, and I I just do it because I feel better. And you know, the cardiologists will tell you to cut back on the meat anyway. And on a planetary basis, if the whole world adopted the Western meat-intensive diet, uh, we'd be cooked uh, where our future is concerned. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I'm I'm heartened that people are beginning to eat less meat, uh, beginning to focus more on a plant-based diet. I'm impressed because also one of the things I think about when I think of Tennessee, where you are, is barbecue. (laughs) And I would just imagine how much you must miss it, you know. I don't know, Marcus, can you barbecue a a vegetable as good as you can meat? Absolutely. And, you know, it's all about... If you're a talented yes, chef. Yes, it's all about the fire and heat. Uh, I want to ask my, well, just one quick last mm. question. And I think this is important because we live in such a polarized world where people almost shut off. And I think if we can, in 21, if we're going to heal and we're going to move forward, we need to be listened to another person's point of view especially in this day and age where there's so many rabbit holes where you can just stay on your point of view through internet and through all of that. Uh, And also when you brought up environmental questions to Congress and they were not listening, this was a different point of view. What exercise, is there an advice that you can give our listeners to like, how do I bring up the odd view or the 
not the hippest idea at the moment? And how do I stand for it? Because you clearly have done this on a world stage many, many times. And doing it, convincing Mr. Bill Clinton, a different point of view, that's as hard as it gets. <laughs> well, we were the closest of friends. And during those years, almost like brothers. And uh, uh, l- a little bit like uh, the Marcus and Jason show. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> it, it, two, two, two heads are better than one. Um, but uh, it was an honor to serve in that position. And uh, broadening out the focus of my answer, there is now a a widespread recognition that more diversity in any decision-making group uh, will benefit uh, the decisions made. Uh, Collective thinking is is tricky, but uh, the experts uh, will tell you that uh, you want diversity, you want maximum diversity, except for one thing, you want the same, you want to share the same values. If your group shares the same values, then any difference in perspective that you can reach out to, of course, you need uh, gender diversity because that's uh, half the world, a little more than half the world, but uh, diversity on race and ethnicity and religion uh, and sexual orientation and physical ability, disability, or I, I don't know the right word there. Uh, it, it, it all contributes to a smarter collective uh, process of thinking. Uh, one time I went to uh, see the, the uh, satellites on top of one of the big volcanoes on the big island of Hawaii, and the most powerful telescope in the world for seeing supernovas uh, is has an innovative design. Bear with me here. You think I'm taking you down a rabbit hole, but uh, one of the innovative designs was they had have two identical telescopes about 85 meters apart. And here's what really uh, blew my mind uh, with the explanation. If you're looking at a, a target in the universe 100 million light years away, a separation of only 85 meters on the surface of the earth vastly enhances the amount of meaning that you can pull from that target of your observation. A different point of view. So long as you're after the same things and share the same values, there is immeasurable a benefit to be gained by tapping into the wisdom of people who are looking at it from a different life experience, a different culture, a different religious and faith background. So yes, uh, but you've got to get that uh, coherence with the same values. We just want to thank you so much for being part of this moment family. And I can't wait to come down to Tennessee next year and be part of your conference, whatever we can contribute. Um, very, very happy to be part of it. And it's been such an honor, Mr. Vice President. Thank you for everything that you've given to us in the world. Thank you so much. Thanks to both of you. It's a great honor to appear on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much, Mr. Vice President. We'd also like to give a special thanks to Lisa Berg, Nick Conger, Jane Samuels, and Brad Squires. Peace. Thanks again, Mr. Vice President. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I hope all of you guys learned something and enjoyed the listen. Have a great summer, everybody. Peace. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.